0: The end of December, when Chris texted me and asked if I would come and preach, uh, he told me I could preach anything that I've already preached to make things easier. And uh, I knew in January we were starting a series in Judges. (laughs) And uh, we had been going through Exodus and Joshua, and we finally made our way to Judges. And at the time, I didn't know much about Judges, honestly. And I had a basic understanding, but I I knew enough to think, yeah, that's probably not the book to bring up here to Worcester, Ohio. It's dark, it's violent, it's just disturbing in a lot of ways, honestly. Uh, So I didn't want to repeat it. But then I started to study and read Gideon's story. And what I knew about Gideon was he led one of the greatest underdog battle stories in the history of warfare. Uh, but what I discovered was Gideon struggles with the confidence in who God is and what God is up to and what God has asked him to do in times of crisis. Uh, he shows signs of courage throughout the book, uh, but most of his life is actually not one to celebrate like I thought. Even how he ends his life kind of makes you wonder, why is Gideon showing up in the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews? And I'm sure if you ask Chris, you know, uh, probably like Gideon, there are days where he feels courageous, but there's also times in this crisis uh, where hope and courage fluctuate. I'm sure this for you as well in seasons of uncertainty and suffering that your church family is facing uh, there are days when your energy feels depleted and your faith feels weak and your fears feel strong i'm sure at times it feels like man we just need to survive this season once we're back to full strength With our lead pastor at the helm, we'll be ready to do what God has called us to do in this great city, Worcester, Ohio. But in Gideon's story, we see in times of crisis, even maybe especially when we are afraid and uncertain, we are called to courage and action. And my prayer is that uh, our study today Our hope is refocused, not on our strength to push through, our wisdom in this world, but our hope remains not in better circumstances, but in a better Savior. Of course, we pray uh, and we plead, as we already have today, uh, that the cancer would be removed or whatever you all are going through, I'm sure struggles on your own. Family crisis and uh, a relational conflict and work conflict. And you, you plead with God for those circumstances to be removed, as we should. But maybe we pray that in our circumstances, maybe even because of our circumstances, that our hope would grow undividedly attached to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the gospel would expand so greatly in your soul and in this church family, as I know it already has, that together you would be mobilized to join Christ in his mission to redeem, restore, and renew broken, hurting, people and places in this town for the glory of God. And that sounds like a hurrah moment, doesn't it? Your adrenaline may be starting to kick in. Let's get our boots on. Let's get to work. Man, but what I love about Gideon's story is that this is not about a man rising to the occasion. It's not about him mustering up enough courage to believe uh, that he is able to do what God has called him to do. No, Gideon is not what you would call a model hero. You know, when I, before I studied his, his story, I thought of him like a William Wallace, right? Filled with passion and courage, obsessing over and willing to do anything and everything he could to bring his people freedom. I thought I would open up this book and see Gideon with blue paint on his face, leading the troops onto the battlefield with great speeches. But what I discovered is that his cowardice and constant battle with fear and anxiety shows us that we're not called because we're courageous. We're able to be courageous because God has called us. There's a difference. God does not reward us with courage by how strong we are in times of crisis. God gives courage to the fearful and anxious and uh, unconfident. He gives confidence to the unsure to endure crisis with God-glorifying faith and purpose. So if you're not familiar with the book of Judges, this uh, was a unique time in the life of Israel. God had rescued them from the land of Egypt Through their leader, Moses, he led them into the promised land. They had uh, begun conquering their enemies through the leadership of Joshua. But as we enter Judges, the question arises, who is going to lead us? Judges 1-1 opens up, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The question in this story uh, throughout the whole book is, who will be the leader of Israel? It's a tragic tale that actually reveals the depth of human depravity. And the people, uh, we see this cycle ongoing throughout the whole book where the people continually turn away from God. They, they do what's right in their own eyes. God uh, allows a, a foreign army to come and oppress them. In the midst of that, they cry out to God. God raises up a judge to deliver them. But after the judge dies, this cycle just is on repeat. Chapter after chapter, all throughout the book, the people turn to idols and this downward spiral to the point where uh, the very last verse of the book, we still see these same people living in the land, still no king, still no leader, no real commitment to God's covenant with them. And in fact, uh, the very last verse says, essentially, every man is leading himself. Judges 21, 25, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Is there a line in scripture that describes the state of our culture any more perfectly? (laughs) Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But we see this sliver of light all throughout this dark history in Judges. The presence of God is always near. The power of God is always rescuing a people in spite of their faithlessness to him. And because of the promises of God to be their God time and time again, he shows up even when they don't deserve it. So far in this story, as we get to uh, Gideon's story, God has rescued them from king after king, oppression after oppression, Mesopotamian, Canaanite king, the Philistines, King Jabin, He says in in chapter 3, oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. In each case, the people cry out to God who raises a judge to deliver the people. But today's story is a little different. The enemy does not come and invade into their land day after day, oppressing them daily. Instead, they use a different strategy. If you're able, I'd actually like you to please stand for the reading of God's word. As we get into Judges 6 this morning, uh, I'm going to read the first six verses and then you can have a seat for the rest of the time. But hear the word of the Lord. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza. They would leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in and Israel was brought very low. Because of Midian. The people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be deceived. So every year, we get this picture of the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east, uh, much like the IRS does this time of year, comes into the land and just devours it. There's nothing left. No sustenance. No sheep. No donkeys. They take it all. For seven years the people would plant and they would cultivate and harvest for seven years they would then lose everything that they had worked hard for you know if I'm honest when um, when I found out about Chris's diagnosis I started praying biblical prayers you know the kind where we read in psalms where the psalmist gets angry and frustrated and confused with God are you kidding me Can't these people catch a break? Can't they have one year without some kind of crisis? And I imagine Israel in this season year two, year three, year four the Midianites, here they come again over the hill, and Israel's thinking, come on, are you kidding me? Can't we just have one year of peace and rest from this oppression? Right? But this is life in the broken world by sin. And sometimes we seem to just accept suffering as a normal rhythm of life. It becomes so normalized that we just, it doesn't even surprise us anymore. We know this is not how life is supposed to be, but its constant presence just beats us down until all we can do is cry out for help. How sweet it is that in this moment of crisis and the people cry out to God, he sends them a messenger. But listen to what a message it is. It's not what you expect. You see, when we go through suffering, we want relief, don't we? We want things to go back to the way they were. But sometimes God doesn't want us to go back to the way things were. Which is why we expect the next verse to say they cry out to God and God raises up a judge. This is the standard cycle of judges. Every time they cry out to the Lord thus far God raises up a judge and he delivers them. But he doesn't send a judge. He sends a prophet in verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am your Lord. I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. It's strange, isn't it? Right when the people are at wit's end, they are so overwhelmed by this uh, attack, this raiding of this enemy, they cry out to God. He doesn't send them a deliverer. He sends them a preacher. He doesn't send them a sword. He sends them a sermon. Thanks, God. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling with something, I, I, I really just want relief from the pain. But God's ways are higher than mine, and he shows us in this prophet's message that the internal problems are far worse than the external problems we're experiencing. God says through this prophet, I rescued you. I have rescued you over and over. I am the Lord your God. You don't have to fear this enemy. I can do it again. But you are in this place because you have not trusted my voice. You've not obeyed me. He's saying, you have not believed that my ways are better than your ways. And I want to be very clear. Not all of the circumstances that we face are a result of our sin. Not all of the suffering we experience is because we have turned away from God. I'm not here to say this is why Chris is going through what you're going through. Chris is is one of the most God-glorifying, humble servants of Jesus that I know. Sometimes the painful realities we face are simply the result of living in a broken world, by, marked by sin. But I do think it's worth taking a few moments of introspection for all of us. And asking ourselves, is there something in our life that God has allowed to happen in my life, not to be blamed for, but to allowed to happen in my life that helps me see my life is off track. To draw us back to himself even. What I'm blown away by in Judges is that God doesn't seem to bring oppression to Israel to get revenge. That's never his goal in this. It's never to pay them back for what they've done, but he's drawing them. He brings these oppressions into their life to draw them back to himself, which makes me believe that as hard as it is to accept, sometimes the suffering we face is the environment in which God is using to deepen our intimacy with Him. Yes. Yes. And this is exactly what's happening here. As the prophet is declaring his message, the sermon just seems to fall off right in the middle. <laughs> it just kind of drops, silence. Now, I'm, I, I'm certainly going to run out of time today. The first time I preached this, I did all of uh, Judges 6 in one sermon. I'm not going to do that. I'm coming back in a month, I think. So I'm going to just kind of cut right in the middle. So that's not what's going to happen today. Uh, but that's also not what's happening here, even though it feels like an unended sermon. He says to Israel, you have not obeyed my voice. And we're all just sitting on the edge of our seats to hear, okay, what comes next? Like a parent with a child you who has not obeyed our voice, we may say, now go to your room. You've, you've not obeyed my voice. Now go to your room and pay the penalty for your disobedience. We expect God to say, therefore, because you have not obeyed my voice, I'm going to punish you. But that's not what he says. Instead, the sermon stops, and what we see is God is graciously coming to them and preparing a deliverer. The next judge, Gideon, to lead his people out of the devastating oppression. Don't miss how good of news this is. What good news? What gospel news? Before the people could even respond to his sermon, the writer jumps right into the story of Gideon's call to lead the people against Midian. We can have confidence and courage in times of crisis because before we can get ourselves cleaned up for God, he is already at work to deliver us. He doesn't call us because we are equipped to be used by him. He equips us because we are called to be used by him. Let's look at verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to, uh, to hide it from the Midianites. So why is he beating uh, out the wheat in the winepress? Well, if you're... That, We don't really do that very often. I don't know. Maybe you do in Worcester. I don't know. But we don't do that in Columbus. Uh, If you're not familiar with threshing wheat, uh, you typically do it out in the open air where the chaff can blow easily in the wind. Um, And here Gideon is essentially down in a pit. That's what a wine press would have been he's hiding why is he doing it it says to hide from the midianites and we're thinking okay he may just be a smart guy he's he's hiding from the people who come and keep taking his uh, wheat but this is actually the first of many signs that we'll see throughout his story that he's actually really struggling with fear anxiety is marking his life he lacks courage and confidence in the lord and god is not coming to Gideon we see because he's the bravest of the bunch He's not the strongest candidate here. But in verse 12, he says, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And if this was a uh, sitcom, the original audience would have understood uh, this to be a pretty funny thing because the director would have cued the laughter card. Gideon is no mighty man of valor. He's hiding away from the enemy. He's a coward. But the righteousness and courage God wants to give is not a reward we earn. And so he names Gideon not based on his current emotional reality. He speaks a better name over this young lad defining who he is going to make him to be. Isn't that such good news? Jesus looks at us while we are sinners. That is when he died for us. He didn't look at our strength. He didn't look at our impressive resume. He didn't look at our wisdom and think, wow, since they've earned my love, I'm coming after them. No, he sees us in our sin, in our weakness, in our fear and frailty. And he says, you are my beloved children. Rise up, O mighty man, O mighty woman of valor. I have called you by name and you are mine. (laughs) But Gideon... Verse 13, Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Don't you feel that? Where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. He has given us into the hand of Midian. This is actually a very interesting discussion. It's full of irony. Gideon is essentially wrestling with the question that probably many of you have this past few months, few years. Why do bad things happen to God's people if he is with them? Gideon is like many modern readers today who believe that suffering reveals the absence of God in our life or worse, that God doesn't care about what's going on in our life. Yet God is standing right in front of him, taking the accusation, taking the frustration and the confusion. I'm not going to get into it today. Uh, This is a beautiful scene, an Old Testament scene of when the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, makes a pre-incarnate visit to earth. God is standing right in front of him as he says, where are you? Gideon questions the presence of God when God stands right in front of him. Then he questions God's presence in the national life when the nation is the one that turned from God. You have abandoned us, God. No, Gideon, you have abandoned me. But he doesn't say that. He's declaring that God has forsaken them, abandoned them, and yet God stands right before him, listening to every complaint, every frustration, every doubt, Almost just waiting for him to stop talking. Patiently waiting, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? To calm Gideon's fears, to embolden his, this frightened warrior, God shows Gideon three incredible graces. This grace empowers Gideon's faith and helps him to fulfill the call that God has given him with great courage. He gives Gideon and us everything we need to do to what he has called us to. First, he gives Gideon his power. He says, you ask where I am and what I am up to. My plan, Gideon, is that you would go in this might of yours. And this is what your strength is. I have sent you. He's not saying, Gideon, you are mighty and powerful in yourself. My boys, (laughs) my boys are at that age of preteen, teenage years where, you know, they'll they'll walk by a mirror with a shirt off and just kind (laughs) of flex a little. I I probably did it as a child, so I... (laughs) It's funny in this state to watch this because there's not a lot of muscle there, but they see it, right? They, they, what they see is the rock or something, you know? And I'm like, yeah, buddy, like look at those guns, you know? But God is not, he's not building a false hope in Gideon here. He's not saying you are so strong, go in this power of yours He's saying, you're right to believe you actually can't do this on your own. You actually don't have much to offer, but I have said, go. And with my power that is greater than any power within you, greater than any army you will face, you will see victory. In times of crisis, when we feel weak, we are perfectly positioned to see the power of God displayed in and through us. But church, so many of us, like Gideon, are afraid to fail. We're afraid of the unknowns. We're afraid we're not cut out for it. And so we, like Gideon, we sideline ourselves. Just like Gideon has done. Gideon tells, God tells Gideon to go and Gideon says no. Verse 15, he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Look at me. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. God says, go, and Gideon says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not what I'm asking for. I want you to rescue us and bring relief, but I can't be the one to deliver. Look at me. Look at my family history. Look at, look at what I'm coming out of. And I'm the runt of the litter of this family. Maybe some of you feel bad about the circumstances that this church is in and everything that Chris and his family are facing and you're just kind of in survival mode. Um, I should have mentioned my congregation is about this similar size number um, but 60 of them are in addiction recovery. We have an addiction recovery program um, and so uh, it's, it's a blessing of God, and we praise him for what he continues to do in this. But um, that means that a lot of times when I preach, I say things that are honest. <laughs> These guys smell fraud from a mile away, and so you have to be honest. <laughs> um, Lindsay said, I've never heard you, heard you preach before. And I'm like, <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully I get invited back in a month. <laughs> Maybe you feel like you're just in survival mode, threshing the wheat in the wine press. You see people in your community who need to know Jesus. You see the opportunities to serve this church family. And you're saying, God, would you please raise up somebody to meet that need or say that message to my friend or my coworker? And he oppresses it on your heart to do something. And you think, no, 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 not me. (laughs) Who, me? Not me. I've only been a Christian for a couple of months. I don't know all of the answers for, for all of people's questions. I can't do it, Lord. Can I be so bold enough to say this morning, to suggest that maybe God is using this time in, your, in the life of your church family to expose the lie that ministry and mission of Oaks Church is dependent on a few. He wants to use each and every, every one of you to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your weakness is not a barrier to that. In fact, it's because of you, your weakness and because of your fear and timidity that he wants to use you to display his power to the world. It reminds me actually of Moses' response to God's call in his life. Right, when he told Moses to go to uh, free the people of Israel from the Egyptians, and Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Right, not me. Just like Gideon, he said, I am a nobody. Excuse after excuse about why he should not be the one to go. And I just love how God comforts Moses. Verse uh, Exodus 3.12 but I will be with you. And God equips Gideon with his power, but just like he equips Moses with his presence, he comes to Gideon in verse 16 of chapter six, and then the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. Oaks Church, Church, God is saying to you this morning, I will be with you. When we fear what God has called us to do, whether it's a season of suffering, a ministry opportunity he may be putting on your heart, a hard conversation uh, with with a, a spouse or a neighbor or a coworker, whatever it is, maybe something we need to confess or repent, sometimes the fear comes because we believe we're doing it on our own. And the presence of God is this constant comforting theme all throughout Scripture because it's one of the greatest gifts that He gives us. His presence brings so much comfort, so much peace when trials and suffering come. His loving, compassionate arms surround us and protect us from discouragement and despair. I mean, seriously, just if you really just consider. How would this change the outlook of every moment of your life if you knew God was with you? As you go to the doctor, as you go to work tomorrow, as you take a walk around your block, you step into the thing that fears you most. Courage is not about a lack of fear. It's about having the confidence in God's nearness no matter what you face. It's about following and obeying him even when a crisis comes. And if you're struggling with that answer, so was Gideon. Verse 17, he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. Show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart here until I come to you and bring out uh, my present and set it before you. And the angel of the Lord said, I will stay till you return. Gideon wants a sign, and as we wrap up this story, um, you know, next time we'll talk about God, um, asking God for signs. There's another part of this chapter where he asked for another sign, so I won't spend time on it today. Um, But for now, just see that he's struggling to believe, and God wants to give him the assurance he needs to do the thing that he asked him to do. He's patient, he's gracious with Gideon. He says, okay, show me a sign, and the angel says, okay, I will. That's so beautiful how patient and gracious God is with us in our weakness. Verse 19, I'm going to read a bigger chunk here. So Gideon went into his house. He prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Verse 21, the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. The angel of the Lord vanished from his sight and Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, peace To you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Beesrite. So as Gideon is struggling to step into this call that God has given on his life, God gives him this assurance, right? He gives him this assurance of his power and his presence, but here we also see this promise. Having courage to face what God has called us to requires that we trust the promises of God. Gideon is thinking, this is crazy. How do I know who you are? How do I know you're telling me the truth? Can you show me a sign? And the Lord burns up this meal right before Gideon uh, and just disappears. Standing there alone, he realizes this was not just a man. This was not just an angel. This was, in fact, the angel of the Lord, This was God demonstrating his presence and his power to me. uh, And he just begins, he breaks out in worship. And in this moment of adoration, God speaks to him. God gives his heart great peace. But it comes through a promise. He has already told Gideon that he's going to save his people in verse 14. Verse 16, he has already promised him victory over the Midianites. And now in verse 23, one more promise. I'm promising Gideon, listen, you will not die. The nation that deserved punishment now has a leader called by God to take them into battle. A leader who has received the power from God, the presence of God, and now a, a promise of God that he will not die. Church, we face a lot of um, uncertainties. We have many reasons to be afraid, but God has called us to join our better judge, our greater deliverer, Jesus Christ, who God has also promised victory to us over our greatest enemy, as much as I want to say cancer, our greatest enemy, sin and death. When we have confidence that he has already defeated our greatest enemy of sin and death, we can have courage to face any circumstance that comes our way, any crisis that comes our way with hope and confidence in who Jesus is. In Christ, Jesus reveals God's power over death to us. He has revealed God's presence to us in that while we were sinners, Christ came to earth and died for us. And He is the promise of God that we have a greater hope of be- a greater hope than better circumstances. We have a hope of a better savior. Our church family has uh, just stepped into a uh, cancer journey of our own uh, with a couple of our uh, dear uh, ladies in our church. and um, as I was talking with one of the ladies um, just last Sunday, um, right, she had just got her diagnosis and she said to me, listen, Phil, I don't want this life, I don't want my life to be a cancer story. I, I want this to be a Jesus story. I see this in my dear brother and in this church as well. She later on wrote in her blog, this is a story first and foremost about Jesus the lead here is not cancer, it's not a brain mass, it's not chemo, it's not radiation, it's not even death. It's Jesus and only Jesus. Then she quoted a lyric from Christy Knockle's beautiful song, Let It Be Jesus. It says, should I ever be abandoned? Should I ever be acclaimed? Should I ever be surrounded by the fire and the flame? There's a name I will remember. There's a name I will proclaim. Let it be let it be Jesus. What gives somebody this kind of perspective on life? What gives somebody this kind of hope and vision? I read Chris's uh, care page, and uh, I, what I read didn't surprise me that some of the nurses were asking prayer from him. So I get, again, I say, what gives somebody that kind of peace? In life, when surrounded by fire and flame, all they want to do is proclaim the name of Jesus. The kind of life that says, just like our next and final or next song, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he, Jesus, then, is all my hope and stay. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And we know that you love us. Even when life is hard and circumstances overwhelm and we feel the fire and the flame, we know that you love us. We know because you sent your son Jesus into this world to declare and demonstrate that though our sin was great, your compassion and mercy and love for us was even greater. So Father, I pray for this church family as they leave this place, as they enter into uh, the community that you have called them to be courageous and confident in who Jesus is. God, that they would be so bold, so confident in who you are and what you have called them, even in their weakness, even in their timidity and fear. Father, that they would trust you, that they would obey you, that this city would See Jesus would know him better would experience him flesh and blood because of this church family. Yeah. Yes. Give them courage and confidence in Christ and his righteousness alone. In his name we pray. Amen.